All right, you ready to start? Doug Carlson, you ready? Are you doing special music today? Anybody want Doug Carlson to come up and do special music? No, me neither. Yeah, that's right. We got hands up. He's going to give me a hard time for picking on him right now. But I love that brother. All right, hey, thanks for being here. We are in the last week of our class that, we're, that we've simply just called Thinking Biblically about 2020. And I started it, uh, I guess it's seven weeks ago now, where I kind of raised the issue of wanting to be reflective, wanting to think about this, not wanting to, the, the, the metaphor that, that I've used a couple times is kind of just sweep it under the rug and not talk about it, right? That unhealthy relational dynamic that can just happen in our marriages, in our families, with our children, with extended family especially, right? When you think of the church as an extended family in a sense, that kind of stuff can happen all the time. We don't want to do that. There was legitimate disagreement about three major things in 2020 that have extended clearly into the present. One has just been the whole COVID mess. Masks, no masks, right? Vaccines, no vaccines. Government overreach or honoring government. Like, what do you do with that? And it is very nuanced and very complex. It's rarely ever kind of a black and white thing. It's actually quite complex. And so, brothers and sisters, Christians who love each other and love Jesus rightfully and unavoidably disagreed about those kind of things. And that caused strife. And it didn't just cause strife between individuals. It actually caused strife between individuals and their local churches. Does a church give uh, kind of the Christian middle finger to Pritzker? I don't know if there is such a thing, but let's just say there is. <laughs> or do they make an argument that this is, this is a way that reflects what Romans 13 talks about? And Christians disagreed with their elders about this thing. Honestly, elders disagreed with elders about this thing. I, I mentioned some of the divisions happening in the EFCA district to the north of us and how there was like literally intervention trying to keep together divorcing elder boards, which would just cause a split in local churches over COVID. Like we're not talking about the deity of Christ or the resurrection, which is obviously, we're talking about masks or no masks. But that's just one of the crises. The, the other crises that raised themselves, one was the whole racial tension. The pastors and I went to a conference that we go to almost every year at the Center for Pastor Theologians, of which I'm I'm a fellow of that group, and I have been for a decade. It's in Oak Park, which is just directly west of the city of Chicago. And they, de and they talked through some of those issues, and it was fascinating to have speakers from very conservative, Christian, Bible-believing places like Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton College, right? Graduates of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, like people in our theological tradition speaking about this issue and the disagreements about them. And it's loaded. It's complex. It was very helpful for, for me just to be listening to discussion, not necessarily contributing anything, but just listening to people come in and speak. And many people from other churches, they're wrestling with the, the racial crises that are, are affecting us. And, and even my, I have a brother-in-law in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that crisis is still on fire in his own church. It just hasn't gone away. And then you add in the election. And what we've talked about with the increase of importance of politics in the third world culture, it actually isn't surprising. In fact, to be honest with you, all three of those 
get, get kind of a spotlight on them when you talk about probably the main, char- the main category that I wanted to give you in these eight weeks, and that was the understanding of a third world culture. Right, a third world culture, not third world country. We're not talking about military might, economic production. We're talking about a third world culture that, that denies the transcendent and the sacred, a kind of a top-down, thus saith the Lord, here's, here's what gender means, here's how you define marriage, here's how you define life, here's how you define law and God's will regarding living and loving and, and all of those things. When that gets removed, when the transcendent becomes imminent, internal, not other and above, but inside and me, it becomes a free-for-all. And it's not just a free-for-all that you and I want to point our finger and say, yes, yeah, I mean, they, they're denying the authority of the Bible regarding what they're doing with gender. Fair enough, but it, it's, not just, it's not just them. It's also this, this magnification of the political, right? And when I mean the political, I mean when you take away the transcendence from above, when you're not focusing on the other, when you're not little worship, but we, if you were in first service, it was beautiful worship and ending is with great is thy faithfulness and singing praises to God. When your direction is upward, there just literally is a minimization or a dilution of the chaos of this world because the other world is where you've got one of your feet. Right? You're all, you, you, thy kingdom come. Like you're thinking of another kingdom. So you're just not putting all your body weight on the kingdoms of this world because another kingdom is so great in your mind. And another king is ruling. And you're trusting not only that you would obey him, but you're trusting his provision. But when that kingdom and other king is gone, then the kingdoms of this world get full transcendent worship and focus. And the otherness and the focus on the other gets moved to something else and it gets smothered and it becomes magnified. So really all of those issues, whether it's COVID or election or the racial crisis, have all been made with transcendent political significance. And that is a symptom of third world culture. And that might not be something that 18 months ago you were like, okay, so we've just had a racial crisis, several issues that are raising. We've got a very vitriolic election, and oh, by the way, you've got a global pandemic starting up, however you want to define or use whatever words, right? And you had these spectacles of third world culture that you could use to watch whatever news channel you watch or whatever conversation you listen to, but without that lens of third world culture, it's, it's, it's easy to miss that. And that's why the second thing that I tried to bring forward in this class is the fracturing that's happening over that, right? Not to be prescriptive, say you got to choose a side, but just to be descriptive and say, hey, guess what? Literally, you're seeing Christians split over this, and it's happening not just out there in some other tradition distant from us. It's happening in our own community, in our own church body. You're seeing a, a new kind of fundamentalism and really a new kind of evangelicalism that is forming up. And there's new boundary lines, right? If 100 years ago it was, are you playing with cards? Are you dancing? Are you going to a movie, right? I mean, if those were the boundary lines, now it's connected to some of the same things we did. Who'd you vote for in that election? Are you allowed to speak about race or are you considered woke if you do? 
right? All of a sudden, there's a new boundary line. Just to see what it is. And you, you almost look at it like, what? Playing cards? Like, I can't even play Uno? That's the greatest game ever. Like, you can't watch movies. Dancing, right? Ballroom dancing is, you see what I'm saying? Like, you, now you look at some of those and say, well, that was interesting, right? I mean, what kind of, can I, do I, ha, can, I can a, can a woman wear slacks? Do they have to wear a skirt? Like, you wouldn't even think about some of those distinctions now that a hundred years ago, people were debating that. Long hair, short hair, like, you're like, oh, that's silly. Well, they're just new lines now. They're just simply new lines, and they're not as worn down and seen for what they are. Now it's the gospel gets put on that. And you've got dear brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we would love and respect, some of whom have ministered to the church in the evangelical tradition for decades, who are themselves helping to draw those lines, rather than say, whoa, 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 let's be careful. And that puts a lot of pressure on a local church with people listening, not just to what that pastor saying, but every, every podcast and news blast email and other sources they want to hear is, is your church going woke? You better, here's how you know if your church is going woke. I mean, those are the kind of emails you're probably getting in your email box from ministers that might be right on and helpful and might be way off. But how are you supposed to know? How am I supposed to know? So I wanted to give you those categories as we then use those categories to walk through the last few weeks some of these crises. And even last week where we kind of ended thinking about how can we act a little bit differently in 2021. And I even gave you some suggestions, some of the concerns that I have, things that we should understand, things that we should do differently, and then some of my concerns. And even, even throwing out there, I'm, I'm just worried about the influence of social media. I'm just worried about the influence of social media. And I wonder, if, I wonder if that would be one of those things. Literally, it might be wise for Christians to say, I step out of that. But, but that's, that's, that's me, not the Lord, clearly. Uh, that is, as Paul would say, that is, that is not of the Lord. That, is, that, is, that would be my conviction, right? That it, would be, it, it, it is worrisome enough that I'm not sure it's actually good to be involved in. And it might cause more division, let alone just the impact it has on the younger children who are watching and emulating what we do. The last thing I want to say, and then I just want to close our time, you know, in, in, for a good 30 minutes of discussion that what we can have of, of, kind of kind of processing, taking questions you have. Not that I have the answers, but just throwing out you, that we can discuss together and even, even thinking through how we might go from here. But I, I read something this week that I found interesting. We often talk about the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Big words that mean right doctrine and right practice. And every church wants to, wants to be orthodox, have the right doctrine. Every Christian does. And we want to be a church that has the right doctrine, and we work hard on that. We're part of a good denomination that's very biblical, that's connected to a biblical theological seminary where biblically theologically trained pastors and elders are studying and thinking. We're trying to have growth hours to give right instruction to our people. We want to be orthodox, right? Doxa, glory, right thinking, right worship of God with our minds. We also, we also want to be, have a right orthopraxy, right practice. We want to love well. We want to live in a way that honors God. We want to do the things that's right. Love God, love neighbor, love one another. Like that should be just as much a concern. How weird would it be to say, 
I have the perfect doctrine of the Trinity in my mind, but I do not help somebody who needs help in my church. Like, that would make no sense. God would say, I do not want your right theology without your right love, right? And, and you're not pitting between the two. And even in different emphases and traditions, we can do that. Where we, We're literally just giving dogmatic theological lectures, or it's just all about kind of this, this outgoing love and care, but ah, uh, whatever. You can, you can be a little bit loose on those kind of things. Like, we don't want to pit between those two things. We want those to be the left and the right leg of our walk, right thinking and right acting toward God, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. I heard, I heard, a, I heard a phrase this week called orthocardia, right hearts. And the way it was used is to say, well, the debate isn't just between knowing right and acting right. It's actually about responding right, thinking right, feeling right. And man, I read that. I'm like, that is interesting. Because sometimes you don't necessarily know what's the right thing to think. Like, it's complex. Like, how should I think about the racial stuff? Like, what do I do about the election thing? Or how, how should I think about COVID with government? Like, you could just imagine that there's enough level of nuance and gray area that you could just be either undecided or allow for some room. But you just, you just could see that. So with orthodoxy regarding those things, it's hard to know. There's, it's not, the Bible doesn't like cover it. It's like, it's, like a, it's, just, it's like only implied from a various group of texts. But then even orthopraxy, like you want to respond in the right, you want to act in the right way, but you may not even know the right way to act. Like, should I wear the mask? Should I not wear the mask? What should I do? Like, I don't, is there racism? Is there not racism? How should I, I, I even know what, what to do about that, right? What about the election? I don't know what to do. This candidate's got some problems, but I like some of these particular policies. Like, what do I do? What's the right thing to do? So you can imagine that with orthodoxy and orthopraxy, there could be a little bit of a question mark. But orthocardia, right heart, that we could line up right. You could have a sense of humility, a posture of meekness and gentleness, I like the text that we read in here last week. It was part of our closing sermon in that I Will Build My Church series, right? We could literally just have a heart of compassion, of gentleness, of gentleness, slow to speak, slow to tweet, slow to post, slow to become angry. Right? That's orthocardia. Now, there we go. You might have no clue what the right thing is. You might be like, I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to make decisions about COVID and masks. I mean, I know what I want to do, but I don't know what I should do. And that's okay to not know that. Or even what's the right thing to think about something. I, that's, I think that's okay. Man, we need a little bit more intellectual humility. It's okay not to know what to think. But even without the orthodoxy lined up and the orthopraxy figured out, we could have some orthocardia. I could just simply say, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I'm going to trust. I'm going to ask questions, but do it in a different way. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going to send an email, at, talk to one of the elders, sit down and have a discussion, be careful to come to quick judgments, Admit when I don't know what to think or say. Like, that's okay. Well, wouldn't that be nice once in a while? Wouldn't it be nice to say, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Here, here's what I'm worried about, but I'm not sure the right thing to do, and I'm not sure the right thing to believe. I just think it needs more time. But what I don't want to do 
is of a heart that gets bitter or that gets angry. Because then, here's what happens. Then, in the least, you're probably failing to do orthopraxy because you're not loving well. And you might also not be doing orthodoxy right if you're simply just wrong and you may not even know it. But if you come with a posture like we read last week with that list of things, put on then, brothers, beloved, chosen and holy, compassionate hearts, meekness, gentleness, forgiving one another as the Lord's forgiven you. That's orthocardia. And man, we could literally be a church sitting here at a congregational meeting and we could just have been, we could have come together when this, when this COVID started. We could have sat around and, 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 and honestly, this is kind of what staff and elder meetings tasted a bit like. We're like, what do we do now? <laughs> what, what are we supposed to do? What's the right response? Lord, guide us. I, we don't know. They didn't cover this at seminary. There wasn't one staff or elder board that was in anywhere close to being ready. And I was just talking to Bill Patterson who told me, you guys know Bill? Bill, raise your hand. Would you stand up for a sec? Do you know Bill? Look at him. I'm embarrassing him. This guy has been a pastor in this area for a long, long time. Uh, first free. For how many years were you at Temple Baptist? 11 years at Temple Baptist. This guy, this, guy knows, this guy knows the stuff. And he was telling me, what, give the stat, Bill. One out of five churches in the next what? Yeah, so in an 18-month period ending in January of 22, Barna Research just says that one in five churches will close their doors. Now, and thus far, according to that research, the statistic is proving true. The trajectory is moving accurate. Remember, remember that, that kind of general stat I gave last week? One-third of people are more committed to their church than ever. They're like, these are our brothers and sisters. We are in. Like we may, not even disagree, we may not even agree with every decision, but these are our people. And we will work through this together with them. The other third are like, is this the right place? Like, should we be doing less for, regarding COVID? Or should we be doing more regarding COVID? Or whatever other issues of the big three crises? And they're like, I don't know if this is for me or not. I don't know what to do. And then another third, just gone. And the worry is a lot of that other third, they're, they're, they're not even going anywhere else. It's not just a church swap. Though that's happened some. They're like, we're going to a church where they, where they don't require masks or whatever. And, and that's happened, and it does. Or where they do more stringent mask wearing, right? And that happens too. But the concern of that one-third is that they're not even, they're, they, they aren't even going to church anymore. And then you hear that stat that Bill shared that's connected to Barna Research, and you're like, that, 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 that's hard. That's really hard. So when you think about 2020, right, this was never meant to be a class that was trying to give a slant to any one particular thing. I mean, you're going to have your opinions. I'm going to have my opinions on all three of those issues, right? And, and, and those are appropriate, but we've got to have opinions that allow for Christian liberty. That's got to be a place where we stand. You, we have to be a church. And Christians, we got to do this. We have to be a church that allows people to completely disagree with us about secondary and tertiary things. Like, you have to. Absolutely, you have to. If you cannot do that, then I don't know with whom you can have any relationship, to be honest with you, at all. But you have to be able to disagree with people about who to vote for for president. 
You have to. You can't disagree with who to vote for for the premier master of the universe. That's Jesus. All right? So kingship is not an option. We have to agree on that. But who should for a short period of time be able to run this particular country in the executive branch? I think you should have room to disagree about that. I think you should have room to disagree and Lord willing even be able to talk about disagreements even about a host of political issues and about racial stuff. So I heard an African-American sister come up to a microphone, and I, I mean, I was holding back tears like crazy when she began to speak about she, how hurt she felt by her white brothers and sisters in the church. And I'm literally, I was glad I was wearing a mask because I was weeping like a baby. And I'm thinking, Lord, if that is what, if that's what I did or my people did in any way, Lord, may that not be. And the defensiveness in me immediately wants to block that and argue it away. Well, it's not me. I don't even know who she is. But she wasn't talking about herself. She was talking about her people. And I want to be able to hear that. And if I'm just battling over orthodoxy, well, well, well I mean, what, 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 she must be woke, right? Or if I'm just ordering orthopraxy, well, I didn't do, or what she didn't do, or what did she expect from me, or what about all these issues? But I want to be have a good, I want to have a good cardiologist for the, for, for the soul, orthocardia, where I want to listen to somebody who is my sister. And I may not agree as of yet, but I got to give her ear. I got to give her ear. I may have more questions, but I got to let them be asked or ask them myself. I got to listen. And maybe, maybe then it's a posture of a church that isn't what the Bible picks on over and over again is being hard-hearted. I want to be soft-hearted. And that forces me, if, if, if the sender has a softness to it, I can't be too rigid on orthodoxy that is not a first-order issue. I just can't be. The moment we're talking the gospel issues, it's, it's got to be Cement. The moment we're talking about the timing of the rapture, I got to hold that loose. I, I just do. Or, or, or name something else. Orthopraxy, right? I got to be solid on the large categories of love and care. And, but man, the, and, and law and obedience and God's revealed will. But the moment I get to gray areas regarding government, pandemic, masks, and there's a whole host of questions and a whole bunch of people that are very smart and very Christian disagree with each other, I, the softness of my heart should allow me to have a little room and space in there for that. So if, I was, if, if I'm going to end what I'm going to say, that is what I would want to say to us. I would much rather have us be a church that regarding the secondary and tertiary things of, of doctrine and belief, we're like, I don't know. What do you do with that millennium thing? That's a tough issue. How should we think about this issue or that issue? That's good to think about. What's the right way to think about race? What's the right way to think about an election? 
or political issue? What's the, what's the Christian view on this? I, I don't know. I'd much rather have some I don't knows on that. And I'd even not have some I don't knows about other practices. Not the clear ones. Not the ones where God has revealed clearly his law, but the ones that are gray issues. I'd much rather see that. But because inside there is this certainty regarding our hearts. We will not be hard-hearted. We will, be, we will risk being offended than being the offender. We will risk being wronged or, or, or tr- mistreated than we would mistreat. We will risk that. We will be okay with uncertainty on certain things. We just will. We'll just sit in that uncertainty because we know that God is certain. He's the alpha and the omega. Everything in the middle is good to go. Right? It's just good to go. We just live in this certainty of this resurrection hope that grounds ourselves in Christ. And that would be a church. Not only where different people with different views of secondary and tertiary things could actually all be together and welcome, but here, here's where you get to the point of health. That'd be a church where you can actually talk about these things. You can learn from one another. Rather than we're just going to be a red church or a blue church. We're neither going to be a church that has a symbol of an elephant or a donkey because we want to be a church that has a symbol of the lamb. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful thought experiment. But the question coming after 2020 with one out of five churches closing their doors is where is this church going to land? Like, can we do that? I hope we can. So let's spend the rest of our time asking questions that we could answer, making comments. I want to hear from all of you. And so, share. Yes. Yeah. So so Melody's saying when she first heard, if you couldn't hear, when she first heard about third world culture, she was like, oh my goodness, how do I even relate, communicate with people in, in a third world culture when I'm holding to these, thus saith the Lord, second world culture kind of perspective? And then she said she realized, well, really, there's still people that are hurting well, that's the thing. Like the reality, they don't know yet, but they're still made in the image of God. Like they can totally deny the maker and they can even try to distort his purposes and his design. But in reality, they still have a made, by, made in heaven kind of thing on the bottom of their foot. Right? They still have that. They're still meaning-making machines. They long for completion that, guess what? No marriage or second marriage, or third marriage, or fourth marriage will fulfill. No beautiful little children will ultimately fulfill. All the money in the world, all the power in the world, all the privilege, all the pleasure, none of that will satisfy. And here's the thing, you know that. And they have been, whether blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, or God, Romans 1, like turning them over to their own lust, their own idols, whichever it is, and probably a combination of the two, they may not even know that, but you do. So you literally have to trust that the same God who made them will have to be the one who will soften their calloused hearts and open their eyes, and you just give them Jesus. But one of the, that's one of the strengths of a third world culture is it requires us ministering one to actually be more dependent on the Holy Spirit. Whereas if we're in a second world culture, it's like, well, we're just going to reason them into heaven. I've got all my arguments. Give me my McDowell, 100 million reasons. 
uh, evidence demands a verdict, right? I mean, we, how many volumes of those are there even now? Right? Like we have all these arguments that we're going to present because we know you've got things lined up. You just, you just got a few bolts loose. And when we tighten those up, you're good to go. Now it's like, you're not even fixing a car. It's not, it's not a, there's no manual for this. It literally is They've completely reversed the created order where they put themselves on top. It's Babel, Genesis 11. It's, it's literally part of God's judgment on the world. And what he sprinkled around this judgment on the world is all these people who are what? They're missionaries. So if you think a church is a healthy church that thinks we're just going to be a cul-de-sac for Jesus here, like just park it, and then when you go out there, just like run quickly in your garage and shut the door, right? Or don't talk to people at work. Like quickly, hide. There's pagans. Like, if you think that's Christianity, you've got nothing in common. You actually are, are sent. You're sent right next door to where you've lived for 20 years. You're sent in your office place to tell these people made in God's image who their maker is, and he is beautiful. And many of them will reject or be angry at you or will curse Jesus' name. And that's exactly what Jesus told the disciples in the, in the, in the farewell discourse. Hey, be ready for this, Right? But it's to those people I sent you. Just as for God so loved the world meant that in a broken world that didn't even know who their maker was, John 1.11, so he came to them so that all these orphans, John 1.12, could be adopted by God the Father. And by the grace of God, hopefully that's everybody sitting in this room right now. And that's only possible because Jesus didn't just stay in the heavenly realm, but he came into a world that would hate him and kill him so that you could have true life as God made for you to have. And now Jesus says, as the Father, John, John 20, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So listen, in a third world culture, just, just know what you're entering in. And hopefully this class has helped give at least one category for seeing some of the complexity, some of the responses, etc., in our world. And, and, and if we're wise, we would use major events in our culture, rather than dividing among ourselves, right, we gather in and we say, okay, let's, let's think biblically about name the next crisis, right? Name the next crisis, let's think biblically about that. What are we seeing? What's the right response? And we may even walk away with our response, like, I don't even know what we should do about this one. But we take time, we process, we think, etc. Bill, was your hand up next? Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should hold church on the first uh, first tee before they tee off. Like, hey, but, hey, hey, hey! But we, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a tee. I'm just gonna stand right in front of that golf ball. And say, can I just tell you about Jesus real quick? Bill basically said he mentioned me seeing a guy with his boat uh, a little before 7 a.m. on Sunday morning last week that I mentioned, and he's like, you should see a golf course, and it's true. I mean, you, brothers and sisters, you will see fewer and fewer people going to church. Just so you know that. And you will see fewer and fewer people who used to go to church. That's what's going to be so weird. You will see fewer and fewer people who used to regularly go to church actually go to church. And all COVID did was just kind of pull back the covers a little bit, right? It, and, 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 and so the reality is that is actually going to be the, n the normal thing, and we just need to be aware of that. Yeah, Ed's saying if you couldn't, if you couldn't hear our elder chair, elder statesman, and the husband of Mary Alice. If you couldn't hear that, uh, he was just saying, ultimately, he gives the example of Pilate with Jesus, and Pilate basically claims that he has political authority 
over Jesus to declare what he wants to declare. And Jesus rightly says, you don't understand how elections work, buddy. Um, and, and every leader is put in his, his, his or her place because of the sovereign king himself. And that, that is where our dual citizenship has to become a bigger deal for us. Right? I've, I've used that little phrase, playfully, make the kingdom great again. We have to. We have to. It has nothing to do with your philosophy of any political candidate or any view of the role of America and politics and immigration. I'm not trying to use that phrase to counter something else. I'm just trying to say above and beyond your view of American politics must be kingdom politics. And you just have to know that whether it was going to be a Donald Trump or a Hillary Clinton, a Barack Obama or a George Bush or a Joe Biden or who's ever next, they are only there because Jesus let them come. And it may even be, it may be for a purpose of common grace blessing. It could even be a judgment. It could even be. But we have, we have to see that King Jesus is still king. And, and, and maybe we just need to do more thinking from Scripture, more learning from the Bible about what that looks like. Because for so long, we've put a lot of our body weight into human kingdoms and human politics, and we've been discipled then by a third world culture. And what a second world culture does, good kings or bad, is it ultimately relies on the ultimate king. And we just have to do that. Rosa, was that your hand that was up? Yeah. Yeah. Not, we've been too complacent. Rosa's saying we've been too complacent. And this has been a revealing, a waking up of saying, man, we've, we, we, we can't be too... We, it would be tempting, like in our context, in the wealthiest, safest country on the planet, maybe in world history, it'd be pretty easy just to revel in God's common grace and never think you need Jesus. Like you could just revel in God's common grace most of the days of your life. And Jesus is totally a kind of a cool add-on once in a while. Because you're not worrying about where you're going to eat. You've got more money than really what you know what to do with. And again, you don't say it that way. Because when you think of extreme wealth, you think of like people that have their own jets. But in reality, not many of us are going away looking for what we're going to have for lunch today and hoping somebody provides a meal. That's extreme wealth in this world. But we don't see that. So those are the kind of things we end up occupying ourselves with God's common grace that actually was for everybody. And we miss the special grace and the centrality of Jesus in a real sense. Not just the centrality of Jesus, the creator, the new thing or the good thing or the technology and all the, but Jesus, the savior and what that means. And and if it, if it takes a waking up of the church and anybody not serious about that is going to back out of the church because they like the common grace church. They love the fellowship. They like the friendship. But they're not into the, all that. I mean, it wasn't really deeply about Jesus. If that was the case, then they're gone. But the people that are centered on Jesus will gather for Jesus. And that has to be where, where, where we stand on this. All right. Yeah, and then there, and there's a lot of things that there, there's a lot of complexity in debates regarding economic theory and government uh, stimulus and things that go beyond what even we have even can or should deal with as a church, right? But yeah, a- absolutely, there's a there's a reality where we we just we should walk away from this. I mean, I think when I thought about this particular eight week class, I was just hoping that we would have a not necessarily all the principles worked out or not even necessarily all the practices ready to go, but a posture difference. 
that I would, I would walk away mourning a bit, um, sad for our church and, 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 and some of the difficulties that we face, sad for really every other, there isn't one that isn't face that, um, and wanting to see that there can be some orthocardia. So we need to, we need to be a church that has a bunch of cardiologists, to be honest with you. And we need, we need the mature men and women in this church to become cardiologists of the heart, spiritual cardiologists. In your small group, leading as a, as a volunteer leader in youth groups, in, in the lobby as people are coming in and going out, as you're in the parking lot, as you write notes to people in the church, as gen, an older generation ministers to the younger generation, as the younger generation ministers to the older generation. Right? I mean, we, we become a people who are all cardiologists in one sense, reforming the posture of our heart that models Christ. I, th- I mean, that is beautiful. And if we, could, if we could have that be a big takeaway from 2020, then I think we're on the right track. Even if we can't yet agree about masks or not. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think we're ever going to agree. Uh, I mean, I, just, I don't think we have to actually agree on that. I don't think we're ever going to agree on the politics. And I don't think actually we should. I think there's... I don't think we should agree. I think there's a lot of complexity in some of those issues that there are, that's okay to be there. I don't think we have to agree on all those secondary, tertiary things. That's maybe the problem. We thought we had everything figured out, and we don't. We don't. Yeah, so Dave is saying, like, it, he, he's, he's reminding us of the category straight line or jagged line. Straight line is the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. Like, it's clearly revealed. Jagged line is it's only implied, and it could be implied from several different ways, and you could see people disagreeing on it. It's a jagged line. It comes from the, you can make a biblical judgment, but you can understand why people disagree. You just totally can. Um, and that's a helpful category. And then he's saying, but then there's some straight line issues, maybe in regard to orthopraxy, right? Regarding like living together before marriage or some of those things that are having huge impact on some of our people that, that can and should be addressed. And maybe as a church, we just need, need to grow in ways of figuring out when are they jagged line issues, when are they straight line issues, how do we manage those kind of things, yeah. I do think one mistake I made coming here, uh, but because I'd been in the academic world where everybody disagreed with everybody about everything, like that's just par for, if you don't disagree, you're like not a good academic, right? So I've never heard a paper read where it's like, I think that was perfect. Like every time I was like, well, what about footnote 22? Or you know what I mean? Like you're always... You're always having slightly different methodological slants, and has, that's half the work of academia. I left that world and walked into a church where everything, and I'm not saying this church per se, but in a general evangelical church where we really like things to be black and white. Like, just give it to me, man. And I'm like, hey, let's think about stuff. And you're like, what is wrong with this guy? And that was, just, that, that was a learning thing for me to say, let's try to meet in the middle somewhere, right? I need to make sure that you're getting good, concrete, straight-line stuff, but you've got to be willing to say it's a little more complex. And, to, and for me, that's been me learning from you about those issues. I need, I need to learn that. And that's just part of learning how to be a pastor. That's difficult to do. So the churches are always going to wrestle with that. They're always going to wrestle with that. And honestly, some churches are literally built around the guy, you know, the pastor likes to make everything seem black and white. And there's something very attractive to that kind of church because it's just this guy has all the answers. And the danger is that it lacks actually some of the honesty or the complexity that truly is there. But you don't want to be a church where everything is completely complex and there's no straight lines. 
And so those are areas that, as a church, we can grow. These are straight lines. And I hope that in teaching and preaching and counseling and other kind of things that we are, this is, this is God's will. This is his revealed will. We know this about this kind of thing, and we should, we should do that. Well, the right, yeah, the right orthodoxy or the right orthopraxy without, the right, without orthocardia is still a mess. It can still do damage, etc. We, 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 I want to be faithful with our time so that you can go get your you know, calorie-free donuts or whatever else you're going to eat. But I just want, I want to plug two things. Number one, I want to encourage you to keep participating in these, in these growth hours. I think they're really healthy for our church. We've got two good ones coming up. Uh, do that. If you're not interested in serving in one of these growth hours uh, or participating, did, did you know that we always have needs of service in our congregation? Do you know how, many, like, how nice it would be for people who every single week are serving during this to maybe get a six or eight week class off because you're willing to sit there and babysit maybe a clink kid or something? I don't know. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, there, there's actually ways that you can have love and care for people. You might say, oh, I'm not. You may want to come to every single class, and I can totally get that, but you may also say, I'm going to, this week, I'm just going to go serve. And so, so think about that when, when you do. Uh, last thing I want to say is, want to plug again tonight. I mean, I, if you were in second service, you'll hear me say it in a few minutes, but tonight at 6 o'clock, we have Q&A with, with Kurt Pazdra, who's our pastor of Youth and Student Ministries candidate. So just I want to encourage you to come to that, just as, as part of the body. Just be here. Ask questions. Encourage them. Get to know him. It is a two-way street, right? We, we are looking for somebody to come in and serve us well, and we had better be a loving, gracious, hospitable family to which, if the Lord sends him, he comes. It, it's a two-way thing. And so just even being here to love on him, meet him, hear from him, uh, I'm very thankful for him and what I've seen so far, and I think you will be too. That's tonight at 6 o'clock. Last thing is next week, like that growth, those new growth hours, they don't start for two weeks from today. Next week during this middle hour is our congregational business meeting. So, so make, be intentional about that. Again, I just say that as a follower, of, as a disciple, as a member, come to that. I mean, we're literally, the, the only thing we're voting on this particular time is, Kurt, if you know you can't be here, you can actually vote out in the lobby you know, afterwards. Like, uh, as an absent vote, absentee ballot, you can, you can already vote. If you were able to hear him this morning and, or, and you're trusting the search committee's unanimous recommendation, the staff's unanimous recommendation, the elders' unanimous recommendation, we, we need, a, for our Bibles, we need a n- number of responses. And as a, as a faithful disciple of Jesus, I would think you'd want to do that. Like, that's just how you want to be part of this church. That's what's beautiful about congregationalism is the role that you get to play and therefore have to play. So please please do that. But next week's congregational business meeting, be, be present for that. It's literally no more. It probably won't even take the whole 45 minutes, but that's next week. I encourage you to be here that. Let me, let me pray for us as we end. Father, thanks for these weeks we've had to think biblically about some tough issues. And I pray, Father, just quite simply that you would help us learn from what we've experienced and to grow. Of all the things we talked about, all the takeaways that any of us may have, or even just the lingering questions that are still there, that you would help us reflect and model the posture that honors you, that our hearts would be right as we grow to have right doctrine and right practice, that our hearts would be soft with compassion and gentleness and meekness and humility. So Father, I pray that for Hope Evangelical Free Church, for the whole organization you would make us a place that is full of cardiologists of the soul, 
who, who grow and who help others grow in this way. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, their wise input, their good, good comments, and just their, their presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.